Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Yep, no budget for theme song. So that is it. My name is Ohan, and this is Apes and Drapes. This episode is brought to you by Entropy, the beloved law of thermodynamics that both ensured a hospitable enough galaxy for you to evolve in and promises the eventual heat death of the universe. It's Entropy, creator of worlds, harbinger of ultimate death. (laughs) Alright, here we go. We use words and equations to define the world around us. This is imprecise, because we're not even sure what our realities are made of, and we're pretty certain we don't accurately perceive them. We don't know if there is a single objective reality outside of all of our skulls that contains us, or if there are many constantly splitting realities that are birthed simply by the interaction of matter. One of the major hurdles is that we aren't yet sure what the smallest units of matter and energy are. It could even be the case that the idea that the universe has any smallest units to begin with, instead of extending infinitely in size in either direction, is the wrong way to think about it. That being said, we do have a strong sense that matter and energy are rooted in the same phenomenon, kind of like how steam and ice are both two phases of H2O. Of course, don't take that comparison literally, though I do find it to be a useful analogy. We also have a good sense that space and time are really due to the same underlying phenomenon whose existence is contingent upon energy and matter. Harder to make an analogy for that, but in the next episode I'll tackle a piece of it. These four concepts, matter, energy, space, and time, could all be what emerges from the existence of whatever the universe's most fundamental quality is. We have no idea what that might be, but it seems like they all came about at the birth of our universe the first instant of the Big Bang. Was the Big Bang a whole bunch of energy funneling through an impossibly small hole connected to another universe? Or was it the result of a collapse of a previous universe? Or are we just inside a framework of infinitely nested or expanding universes? We have no idea. But what we do see is a pattern or framework that seems to govern and limit and dictate the flow of whatever that underlying phenomenon is that gives rise to the other four concepts that we experience. That framework is the second law of thermodynamics, also called entropy. Entropy is a complicated phenomenon, but the end result, for you to just get a sense of it, is the tendency for energy and matter to distribute evenly over space. The more evenly distributed a system is, the more entropy it has. So a star has less entropy than the same amount of matter that makes up a star distributed over a larger amount of space. A star is a funny sort of thing because the gravity that results from its own size pulls it in towards itself, which causes the matter that makes it up to collide together and explode outwards. These are nuclear fusion reactions, by the way. But the energy from those explosions can't go very far because the gravity pulls it all back in towards the center of the star, which makes the energy explode outward again before pulling it all back in and so on. There's some things that don't get pulled back in because the sun is not massive enough to have enough gravity to stop them from escaping, and those things are photons, which is why stars emit light. This whole process goes on until the star exhausts itself and dies out. Every star is drowning in the exhaustive force of entropy. You can think of gravity as the sun's legs, kicking to keep itself afloat before its effort tires it out and it collapses under its own weight, succumbing to the darkness awaiting us all. (laughs) Okay, to better understand entropy, let's dive into an analogy. Think of a giant clay ball, a beautiful earthen orb expertly handcrafted in Brooklyn by a mustached 30-something who spent a semester abroad living in a remote village in Japan. Now imagine a child, in a very large open space, taking that beautiful clay ball and smashing it on the ground. That's the Big Bang. That's the beginning of our universe, the beginning of matter, of energy, of space, of time. This sends many pieces of clay of different sizes in every direction. 
The child then systematically goes and smashes all the largest pieces into smaller ones, and they distribute further in every direction. And then all the smaller ones and the even smaller ones, constantly expanding the area in which the clay is distributed, moving faster and faster as he goes along. And the child keeps smashing pieces onto the ground until all that is left is a huge area of fine, scattered dust. The child is entropy. And that dust is all that will remain after the eventual heat death of our universe. The clay pot, when it is whole, has no entropy. The huge scattering of dust when the child is finished is a perfectly entropic system. That's how it works. You can see how gravity in this situation is the sort of opposite of entropy in that it keeps things together. And while life in the universe requires the Big Bang so that small enough clusters of matter can form for us to exist on, which is the child initially smashing the orb, the fact that entropy continues to force energy to distribute, meaning the child continuing to smash to pieces, is what will also eventually make the clusters of matter too small and too distributed for anything as dense as us to exist. This is the heat death of the universe. How do we know all of this? Well, I'm using word no as a shortcut for why we think these things are the most probable. But I want you to know that when I use the word no, I'm using it as a placeholder for the idea that all human knowledge is a non-belief-based probabilistic rationalization of observed phenomenon. There is no belief required when talking about scientific theories because it doesn't claim objective truth, only a probabilistic rationalization of observed phenomenon. It could be that entropy is actually the result of another form of matter, or energy that interacts with all the matter that we interact with, but that we can't see, and therefore assume to be a mechanism instead of an interaction. No one knows for sure, but we are able to pretty accurately calculate its effect regardless of whether or not we know its cause. What does that mean? Well, it all relies on probably the most important intellectual discovery that human beings have ever made. This discovery is the universe of mathematics. What is this universe? Well, consider the way in which I've fumbled around for the last couple of minutes trying to explain with words my limited understanding of what is already a limited human understanding of some aspects of the cosmos. The words I use are units of information, made by combining smaller units of information, called letters, all organized within a structure called grammar to convey combinations of words which form coherent ideas that are really complex combinations of simpler units of information. Meaning emerges from sentences when we merge the letters of a language together with the rules of a language. The sum is both greater than and combined within the parts. You can think of the meaning that you get from someone's words to be the light that escapes as a result of the fusion reactor of the ideas in their brain. We use language as an abstract, inaccurate framework which we overlay on top of our realities to make sense of them, and ourselves, to ourselves, and everyone in our realities. Language is the most efficient tool we have for communicating our experiences. There are other mediums, like those in visual arts and music and dance, but words have the greatest potential precision if we spend a bit of time refining how well we speak and our overall grasp of the languages we are surrounded by. This, by the way, doesn't mean to imply that there's an ideal form of any language. That's why I say languages we are surrounded by. There, for example, is no such thing as perfect English. The perfection of the version of English you speak is contingent upon how well your speech is understood by your community. This is not merely my opinion. It's also the view held by every linguist. In fact, the field of linguistics depends upon this view. Otherwise, we just need language police. Instead, we have language scientists. I've said all that to reiterate this idea. Language is a coarse framework that we overlay onto our realities to make sense of our experience as human beings. And I went on that tangent about language to lay the foundation for this idea. Maths is an exact framework that we overlay onto the mathematical reality to make sense of the universe of maths. The exact nature of the framework is not a subjective opinion. It's literally the nature of maths that makes it exact, meaning 
between 1 and 2 is exactly 1. This is not a value judgment about maths. It's merely an explanation of its function. The universe of maths is an infinitely expansive and infinitely divisible universe. Give me any number, and I can make it larger by adding 1 to that number, or multiplying by 2, or really executing any number of functions. This makes it infinitely expansive. Inversely, give me any two numbers, no matter how close they are, and I can give you a number between them by simply adding those two numbers and dividing by two. And here again, there are quite a number of ways to do that as well. This makes it infinitely divisible. Numbers extend infinitely in either direction beyond zero, with positive and negative numbers, and there is an infinite amount of numbers between two numbers, with decimals. Every single point within the infinite, multidimensional universe of maths is reachable meaning it is definable, with at least one equation, if not more. By definition, perfect. Goodness, that's exciting. The exploration of this infinite universe is called pure maths, and it's a very large field with many of humanity's best minds working in it. The field of pure maths has yielded incredible discoveries that have been used in nearly every field of human knowledge. The same way that we can overlay our language onto our realities to better understand them, we use math as a framework to better understand our realities. This is imperfect, because we don't have access to the base units of our realities, so we're left imposing a perfect framework onto an imperfect reality. This leaves holes, but is still incredibly useful. There is no such thing as a perfectly straight line in our reality, and we know that time and space and energy and matter are in constant flux, meaning there's no certainty. But the universe of mass is consistent in and of itself. Despite this difference, applying mass onto reality has helped us accomplish incredible things, like putting human beings on the moon, alive, and actually bringing them back, still alive. Humanity has a whole list of remarkable, truly mind-bending achievements, and they all rely on maths. So language is an imperfect means of explaining our imperfect reality, and math is a perfect way of explaining its own perfect reality. So in a sense, math is also a language. It has its own grammar and syntax and combinatorial strength. That's why we can use either language, meaning equations or words, to explain both the universe of maths and the universe we live in, though imperfectly in both cases. The best part is, every human is good at math. We're constantly measuring distance, like how far a chair is, predicting trajectories, like knowing when a ball is going to hit us in the face, estimating quantities, like this amount of water should fit into this cup, and calculating probabilities, like when we combine the information of what the weather was like yesterday and looking outside and checking the forecast. We combine all of that and make one prediction. Our brains never stop working to make sense of their realities and how they might best operate within them. Math is simply the way to make sense of all of those interactions, in the same way language is the way to make sense of our experiences. Thousands of years ago, humans developed a system to better analyze these phenomena, to make them more accurate, and to communicate them with other humans so they might work on emerging questions together. And numbers were born. And with them, the ever-growing potential of humankind. The amazing thing is that once you start diving into the realm of pure maths, it opens up a new universe that you can explore. A universe that only lives collectively within the minds of everyone who explores it. One that is purely abstract. A universe that is made real by the investigation of it, where equations read like sentences to not only identify positions, but also to bend and warp the space within it. To create new dimensions, build them out, collapse them, group them, and divide them. The possibilities are infinite, and that is a beautiful thing. But math has a dark side. Because infinity is a deep, literally bottomless abyss, and it has swallowed up the minds of the greatest geniuses who've plunged into its depths in search of meaning. 
It raises the question as to whether some ideas are so large that they have the capacity to make us lose our grips on reality to the degree that simply continuing to exist seems too agonizing to bear. We are fragile beings. And somehow the electrified few kilos of saturated fat pudding in our skulls that our existences are defined by are capable of considering abstractions so profound that they can devour us. The human mind is a special, brilliant, weak, profound, pathetic, wonderful thing. An aware speck of dust shouting unheard into the void, raging against the dying of the light. All right, I can't leave you with that. So uh, two muffins are sitting in an oven, and one muffin says, boy, is it hot in here. And the other muffin says, whoa, a talking muffin. (laughs) And if you're rolling your eyes at that dad joke, I say this, we are all talking muffins, surprised that other muffins can talk, going about our fluffy, muffiny little lives, a little bit bananas, a little bit nuts, ignoring the fact that we are all in an oven.